0: Welcome in to News and Views with
1: Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Our worst fears have now come true. President Putin of Russia has unleashed war. response will be immediate and lead you to such consequences that you have never faced in your history. We are ready for any outcome.
0: We now have war in Europe.
2: This, my friends, is our moment.
0: Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views with Tom and Benny and uh, lots to talk about today, a sobering day Uh, My wife called me a little while ago, and she was out doing some uh, grocery shopping. She was over at Sam's, and she said, people are in panic mode, which I I, I haven't been out and about, but apparently people were just hoarding water, and the cars were around the block lined up to fill up their gas tanks. Really? Yeah, which uh, surprised me. Joe Biden, earlier this afternoon, came out and addressed the nation talking about a new wave of sanctions. Here is an edited version, just a couple of minutes, of what the President said earlier this afternoon.
2: The Russian military has begun a brutal assault on the people of Ukraine. Without provocation, without justification, without necessity, this is a premeditated attack. Vladimir Putin has been planning this for months, as we've been saying all along. We saw a staged political theater in Moscow, outlandish and baseless claims ukraine was about to invade and launch a war against russia we saw a flagrant violation of international law in attempting to unilaterally create two new so-called republics on sovereign ukrainian territory putin is the aggressor and now he and his country will bear the consequences today i'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposefully designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. The United States is not doing this alone. For months, we've been building a coalition of partners representing well more than half the global economy. 27 members of the European Union, including France, Germany, Italy, as well as the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and many others, to amplify the joint impact of our response. I just spoke with the G7 leaders this morning, and we're in full and total agreement. We will limit Russia's ability to do business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yen to be part of the global economy. We've already seen the impact of our actions on Russia's currency and the ruble. Early today, Hit its weakest level ever ever in history the russia stock market plunged today the russian government borrowing rates spiked by over 15 percent today's actions we've now sanctioned russian banks that together hold around one trillion dollars in assets we've cut off russia's largest bank a bank that holds more than one-third of russia's banking assets by itself cut it off from the u.s financial system and today we're also blocking four more major banks. That means every asset they have in America will be frozen.
0: To talk about all of this, Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb, an Army veteran, Black Hawk, Black Hawk helicopter pilot, squadron leader. He's also a co-founder and executive director of Restore Liberty. Colonel Gobb spent uh, 28 years in military service, seven years in command, three years training military forces for combat, including... A a hybrid warfare environment such as Ukraine, he helped to build contingency plans for Ukraine designed to address the unique characteristics of a conflict in Eastern Europe based on lessons from Russian operations on the Crimea Crimea Peninsula. Uh, He's with us right now. Darren, welcome to News and Views. Good to have you with us.
1: Hey, thanks, Tom, and happy to join you. Thanks for having me, having me come on.
0: You bet. Um, so, what are your thoughts concerning what the uh, president said earlier today?
1: Yeah, I actually watched that when he was uh, when he was on TV, and let's just say that uh, if he was walking away from that thinking that by or that uh, Putin was going to be impressed, uh, the opposite is would be the case. I guarantee it. Uh, Putin would actually be. More emboldened after that particular speech than than, than he would have been before. So, and I also think that uh, he mentioned that you know Putin had been planning this for months. In fact, Putin's been planning this for years, and he was just looking for the right time.
0: So you don't think anybody's buying the fact that uh, when the president said, and I'm paraphrasing here, these sac- sanctions will have devastating effects. You don't think so?
1: Not at all. And. And frankly, even if they did have devastating effects on some of the population of Russia a long time from now, when they actually really take effect, that's not really going to be something Putin is going to be too concerned about. Uh, You've got to go after Putin himself. And you you heard during that, that speech, people ask him, are you going to sanction Putin? And he refused to answer. So two of the key things he could have worked on, which is the SWIFT, the financial transaction system, uh, across the globe, and the man, Putin. Neither one of those two were addressed, uh, even though it's still a little bit late. Uh, If you don't do that, you're really not going to get, I guess, the financial shock and awe you think you're going to get.
0: Yeah, to let our listeners know, um, Biden stopped short of announcing that the United States and its allies would impose a harsh financial penalty against Russia, kicking it out of the SWIFT banking system, which is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. And really, if they got booted from this, and I'm, I'm not a banker or an economist, but I know enough that This would be really significant if they got booted out of SWIFT as compared to what he has proposed, but he hasn't gone there.
1: No, he hasn't. And this is a minor counter move to a major move on on behalf of Putin. So I I guarantee you, he's not impressed, he's not concerned, and he's going to keep going. Uh, He's factored in these costs ahead before he even began to move and he was willing to accept them even though this is becoming more of a gamble on his part than it would be just a just a risk uh, i think he's accepted all the costs though and realized that he's either got to go now or it's going to take a, he's going to he risks a different administration in a few years that could be a little bit more uh, i guess convincing in these kinds of things
0: the, the president came out today and he talked about the pain at the pump for the American people. He talked about getting other nations to pump more oil. He talked about releasing more oil from the strategic reserves. Yet he never mentioned reinstating leases on federal land, nor did he say anything about restarting the XL pipeline. W- would that, uh, if he came out strongly promoting our uh, energy that we have available that we could be an exporter of, would, would that get Putin's attention, or is that a non-starter?
1: No, I think it would get his attention. Maybe not immediately, but I think it would be a really—one of those bold moves that needs to happen. And I, I thought about this from the perspective of uh, the Cold War again. America and the Soviet Union at the time went on a space race. Right. And we threw everything in to win that space race. So if you wanted to do something that would really make a huge difference to tether people together in the proper way and untether them where they shouldn't be, you do use the space race methodology to get after the completion of the Keystone pipeline as quick as you possibly can. Tie that to exporting energy to the European mainland from the U.S. become a net exporter once again and decouple Europe proper from Russia and get rid of that connection. Now you've got one of the biggest hurdles.
0: Uh, Benny Hardy is my co-host, and he's with us this afternoon. He's got a question for you.
3: Uh, Colonel Gobb, I've spent some time in in, in Russia, not Ukraine, but f- and talked to many people over there over the years. I mean, to our listeners, uh, you know, they hear Ukraine and they probably never even heard of Ukraine until they, until they looked it up on on uh, Google or something. But j- just fundamentally, why is it that Russia and Putin uh, and I, and I think Putin, not necessarily the Russian people, why are they so interested in in uh, Ukraine from an economic and strategic uh, point of view?
1: Well, Ukraine provides a lot of things, I guess you could say, and it's the second largest country in Europe, second only to Russia itself. Uh, What it provides, though, is energy. Again, more of that, including the the Luhansk and Donetsk region that are up there that were on the eastern side, that are the predominant regions that Russia was initially looking at. It's also extremely fertile for wheat and many other crops. It's the breadbasket of Asia, as, as it's been described before, and accurately so. It provides at least two major ports in Mariupol and Odessa, On warm water, which Russia is always seeking after, which is why they went after the part of the reason why they went after Crimea in the first place back in 2014. Uh, Yeah, you get all that along with existing infrastructure and the space Russia wants to have as a buffer between what they are describing as an offensive-minded expansionist NATO organization and Russia, and you get a you get a large chunk of land that Russia really wants for. A lot of reasons
3: well to follow up on that point then what do you think you know you know, most people know i mean russia financially i mean they have all pretty much and that's it um their economy is is been you know propped up by oil for some time now you know depending on this thing in ukraine if it you know is is quick they go over and take over uh, basically take over ukraine without much effort you think they will look to the Balkans to the uh, west next? Um,
1: I mean, at this point, it's as always forecasting what he's going to do is, is always a challenge. Uh, I, I, people looked at me like I was crazy when I told him back in August when we were packing up our last ounces of credibility on the on the C seventeen leaving Afghanistan uh, that I told him Ukraine was next, and they thought I was crazy. But here we are. Hmm. So, my, my guess is if Russia does anything else towards the west, now, one of the areas that we've constantly looked at is called the Sawalki Gap, which is that small finger of land on the northeast side of Poland that is a uh, lays up against Lithuania and it goes to, uh, it splits out Kaliningrad, which is Russia to the west and rush the main the mainland russia to the east there's a little piece of russia right there on the, on the water and that's been a point of concern for a while as well and and the ability for russia to, t- to use that space and potentially move into the baltics more than they would the balkans mm-hmm. uh, but I, I do see there's a possibility that he, if he has extreme success somehow in ukraine that moldova is one of those countries too that's that is right there on the east side of romania That he might be interested as well. And I think that depending on the kind of fight that the Ukrainians put up and what he's got left, that all of these things that we, we have to count them in the realm of the possible options he could pursue, because he's clearly shown that he's not afraid to take on an entire large country.
0: We're talking to Lieutenant Colonel uh, Darren Gobb, who's retired, but very well-spoken and well-versed on what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, there was a story out on the Daily Wire earlier today, Darren, saying that a Russian platoon, a reconnaissance platoon, has uh, supposedly surrendered to Ukrainian troops. Have you heard anything about that? And is that a fluke? Or do you... And as I read this story, I wondered to myself, OK, were they overpowered by the Ukrainians? or were these russian troops thinking wait a minute we thought we were here for reconnaissance and and now we're firing shots at uh, in a lot of cases you know family members i mean it's almost like the north fighting the south in the civil war here in, in the united states uh, you know a century and a half ago uh, what is, uh, I mean, is it possible that Russian troops are going to get into Ukraine and say, wait a minute, I didn't sign up to, to shoot my fellow man like this?
1: Uh, well, first, I'm not familiar with that story yet, but I will go make sure I become so, because where that occurred would be pretty important um, if it did occur. It, and the reason why is because the Russian separatists that are on the eastern side in the Donbas region you know, they, of course, comprise about 17 percent of the entire population of of, um, of Ukraine in general. It looks uh, like it was. In, it the, looks uh, like it was in
0: northern Ukraine. The name of the of the town is uh, Cherniv. Does that sound right?
1: Okay. Well, yeah, that that sounds pretty close. But I think uh, in the end, uh, there's any number of reasons how that could happen. Uh, I'd, I'd have to go back and and take a look at it and see if anybody even really knows that answer because it's, it is very possible that, uh, you know, Ukraine, Ukraine's are enjoying some success themselves in this, I guess, if there is success to be had. Uh, I've worked alongside of and fought alongside of some Ukrainian people uh, in some of the places in the middle East that we were at and they, they know how to fight. Uh, They're not necessarily as technologically advanced or, technically specialized in certain areas but uh, when it when it comes down to it these are these are countries that lived under the, S- the Soviet thumb for a lot of t- a long time and they really don't want to go back to that so uh, they're, they're going to put their all into it and they're, they're definitely fighters
0: well I was gonna say for, for the soldiers fighting uh, for Putin it's a job. For the Ukrainians fighting for their freedom, it's their life, and you know that that's it's hard to calculate how what what that is worth. Now, granted, they're outmanned and they're outarmed by the Soviet Union by Russia, but uh I say Soviet Union because that's what Putin wants to go back to—the old Soviet Union. But uh, how much does that count for? I mean is that is that significant? I mean you you've, you've commanded men in the past. I mean when when their heart is in it and they're fighting for their life uh, is that a big significance?
1: Uh, it's huge. It's almost immeasurable to be able to know that you are fighting for your fi- your family and your homeland. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. versus just doing what your boss says. Uh, that that is a big deal and that goes back to the yeah. i well i guess the fact that uh putin could have some challenges by occupying a country of 44 million people yeah. and it, it, it before we went into iraq it was called you know if you break it you buy it right and it's the same <laughs> same deal here right yeah and they didn't
0: have a real good success in afghanistan I mean, yeah they they wanted to get out of there and never come back um uh, let me ask you, do you, do you see any, um, other country putting troops on the ground? I know the president has said, you know, we're not going to have Americans on the ground in Ukraine. Do you see any countries putting troops on the ground? And, and do you trust the president's word to be accurate on that?
1: Well, I, I, with the president, I, I think we only have to take him at his word. We really don't have any other choice, uh, Well, that's
0: not real. That's not reassuring there,
1: Darren. (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to say it. (coughs) Boy, excuse me. Boy, something's going on over here. But um, yeah, it's uh, I I find it unlikely, I think, uh, for any country to really go in there in any kind of significant force. But um, one of the I guess one of the higher questions I get that we as a nation would have to ask ourselves before we did something like that. This, we're talking about a, a first conflict between what we call near peer competitors, uh, between superpowers. And we have this thing called the war powers act where before we go to war, we're supposed to have a congressional declaration right. to that. And it can be unilaterally said the president just says, Hey, I want to go to war today. And then off you go. Um, so I think if you're not if you're not addressing that and making this a national conversation and debate, then you've got some challenges you got to overcome. But I do find it unlikely that we would put significant forces into the Ukraine. Um, and one thing I do agree with that's happening right now: if you're going to do anything, you only put them in NATO NATO countries, the countries they're going into. I know where they're going into. I've, I've stayed on those bases and, and trained on those bases, so I know what they're capable of. Uh, To go beyond that, I think, is to put us right there between the hammer and an anvil, which is a place you don't want to be. Well,
0: speaking of NATO, do they have the wherewithal, or to quote Sarah Palin, the cojones, to stand (laughs) strong and stand united? And, you know, so far, it doesn't sound like they've given up the the Russian energy. Uh, I mean, you know, President Trump, it's all he could do to get them to pay their fair share. Do you see NATO as really a strong uh, conglomeration of nations that would stand strong against Putin?
1: Uh, not yet um, in this situation, because one, you got Ukraine, who's not a NATO uh, member, and most likely never would be for a variety of reasons. But this should be a wake-up call that uh, this I. This idea that this kind of conflict and warfare is over and we're too advanced for this kind of stuff has got to go away. And at the very least, it ought to do a couple things. One of them is the the, the NATO nations that Trump was talking about trying to get them to spend more than 2% of their GDP on their own self-defense. They ought to look that real hard now. And then... Maybe countries like Sweden and Finland and others uh, other those who, who ha- would have some interest potentially in joining NATO should should uh, kind of re- re-energize that discussion and basically be like you know what oh we've got an expansionist former KGB prime minister in Russia taking on a country that's the size of Texas to annex it and whatever that looks like in the end who's to say where he's going to stop right?
3: colonel gobb what do you think um where do you think china falls on all this uh there's been reports out today you know there were some you know some uh flyovers in taiwan and things such as that but i mean what do you think's on china's mind right now when they're seeing what's going on and seeing nato's reaction and the united states reaction to to putin what do you think they stand in all this
1: oh well, i'm certain they're watching very closely uh we know for a fact that this uh, the the global message that we sent when we left Afghanistan was seen by by everybody, especially those who were looking the most in the first place. Uh, I think if they see us getting involved heavily somehow in what's going on with the Ukraine situation that uh, we can't rule out them taking the taking the opportunity to say, you know what, let's just go 81 miles east and take over an island that we've been promising to, t- to take over for a lot of years. This is another opportunity for a nation to do that. Now, it's not as easy as it sounds, because China's having their own problems with some uh, civil conflict, with uh, human rights stuff, with an economy that's dragging down. So that could impact their decision. However, it could accelerate it to make that kind of decision for their own sake as a distraction from their own internal problems Because, uh, as historians all know, they consider Taiwan to be part of China right. and, and we won't have, they wouldn't have it any other way. Could they move? Absolutely. They could.
0: What do you think the Russian people are thinking about what Putin's doing? I'm not talking about the troops, but the, the civilians back in, in Russia, what, any, any clue as to what their, their thoughts are on Putin's actions?
1: Well, the, the challenge there is that they're, they, they've got a very well-controlled state media. Uh, the, other, the, uh, the positive side of a challenge of a state media is the fact that they've, they've got a modern enough society to where people have things like smartphones and Internet, and there's always a way around things but so you have seen if you've um been able to there's uh there's been some protests in Moscow against the war, so you know that people have an idea what's going on uh, it's it's like anything else though how many are how many people know what's going on versus how many people are getting fed from the media and convinced about what's going on that may not be right and how long does it take for them to realize the difference Well sometimes it could be in this case. When their, uh, you know, their sons and daughters come home from a conflict in a body bag, just like they did in Afghanistan, and, and society in general got tired of it.
2: Right.
0: Uh, you know, I'm sorry to, um, my, well, my lack of diplomacy here towards a, a world leader, but is Putin nuts? I mean, he's he's talking like a nut. He's talking like a madman. He, I mean, he, he, the the closest person out of history that he reminds me of is Hitler.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the challenge. Is uh, just because someone's nuts or maybe it has the appearance of a madman doesn't necessarily make him not a not a. Oh, he's I dangerous. He's dangerous. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um,
1: he's been doing. He's been planning this for years. He knows what he wants to do he's willing to make the gamble. I do think he's a very intelligent person for sure. Um, uh, but I just think at this point he's like, you know what, I've got three more years left of probably the most compliant administration in American history, mm-hmm. potentially and specifically in modern history. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do this now, there's not another opportunity And the, man the man's what 70, 72 years old, somewhere in there. Um, after twenty years in that position that he's sitting in, in one form or another, I, if I were him, I'd come to the same conclusion.
0: Right. If, if you're going to do it, now's the time to do it. Now, yeah. now.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: why did he? Why did they want to take uh, over and capture Chernobyl, the nuclear site?
1: It's actually a, an access corridor into Kiev, so it has nothing to do with the uh, the site itself, like any any sort of cultural or or historic significance it's, it's purely a decision based on terrain
3: okay yeah and to to our listeners uh correct me if i'm wrong here uh colonel um i mean kiev ba- basically is what about a hundred miles from the border of belarus 100 125 something like that and belarus is i mean for the most part, is controlled by russia so it's a straight shot straight shot into the capital through tr- through that corridor through chernobyl is that correct
1: that's correct, and of course they're both right there on the Dnieper River, right. So that's a what we call a high speed avenue of approach in, in many respects. And for your listeners, I'll just when you talk about Belarus being part of Russia, it's just easier to say that Belarus is Russia. Yeah, it's such a vassal state that there is no difference. Mm.
0: We got to bring this to a close, but uh, looking back on your years of experience, uh, give us your take, your thoughts on the situation for the Ukrainian people long term. I mean, do you see? uh, And and I'm asking you look into the crystal ball, and I know you're not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but what do you think the long term situation is for the Ukrainians?
1: Uh, Given the situation that we have right now, it's I would call it generally pretty bleak, but not unrecoverable. It depends on how far Putin goes and what his long term real plans are in the country. If he's satisfied with having a compliant government that basically he appoints and everybody else is content to let that just kinda of run, then you know, they'll live an existence that may not be the best. Mm. But if they if he goes and just straight up occupies it's it's going to be a pretty tough go for the Ukrainians for quite some time.
0: We've got to bring this to a close, but I do want to find
1: out, uh, In uh, give
0: me give you 30, 60 seconds to talk about Restore Liberty, um, which you are the executive director of, the co-founder of. Folks can go to restore restore-liberty.org. restore-liberty.org. Uh, what is that organization about, Darren?
1: It's a uh, nationwide grassroots effort with a national team, state directors. We build coalitions of organizations rather than try to make a huge membership list. We work together to do grassroots style stuff, working with legislation, working with um, educational efforts, uh, specifically focused also on school boards and judges. Uh, We have a couple nonprofit arms and a super PAC uh, to be, we want to really be a counter to the unions as well. And we have an endorsement arm for candidates to where we say that the lesser of two evils is still evil. So if if you're if you're evil in any way, shape, or form, you're not worthy of leadership, and and we're not gonna we're not gonna endorse you because we think people should have a very clear difference between public servants and certain uh, like the right kind of mindset to be servant leaders and those who are not.
0: Well, you're singing um, off that, of uh, you're singing off the same uh, the same hymnal that we sing off of. That's uh, that's great and uh, North Carolina has, uh, right now, we're in the midst of a uh, rather controversial North Carolina Supreme Court uh, decision concerning uh, congressional and state legislature maps. So uh, thanks for thanks for your work to that regard. Thanks for uh, joining us this afternoon. Very informative, and uh, I feel like I've got a little bit of better grasp myself on uh, what's going on over there after talking to you.
1: Well, thank, thank you for having me on, and that's the only goal. There's a lot to learn, and you ever stop learning, then you stop living. So um, I'm happy to come back anytime, but I certainly appreciate you giving me me the time you could today. Well,
0: we'll keep you on speed dial. Thank you, Darren. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. We are over
1: our uh, time limit,
0: but uh, we'll take a quick time out and come back and lots more to talk about.